You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, episode 17 with Tim Bauer. Welcome to Heart Food Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo, nutritional therapy practitioner and private chef. This is a show that tells you the truth about food, nutrition, movement, mental health, mindfulness, and body image, all with a hefty dose of real talk. This show is aimed to inspire you, up-level your mindset, and make you feel more confident and comfortable in your own skin, inside and out. To find the show notes for each episode and to sign up for my weekly newsletter sent out on Thursdays, visit ashleypardo.com. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ashley K. Pardo. If you have a question to be answered on this podcast, please email it to heartfoodpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Heart Food Podcast. So excited for this episode and so excited to be having a stream of interviews again. It was just me there for a couple episodes, which was awesome because I got to tell my story and the lessons that I learned from it. And I actually don't mind just talking to myself, so I don't know what that means. But um, the guest that we have today, Tim Bauer, has an amazing story. He is a motivational speaker and a writer. He also has a TED Talk, which I really encourage you to listen to. Uh, I also just want to give a heads up that I recorded this episode on my brand new computer that I got like two weeks ago, and I didn't realize that for the first 15 minutes, I had it on the incorrect setting. So that's why it sounds kind of off in the first 15 minutes. Uh, Tim's voice sounds okay, but my voice sounds a little bit low. Uh, so just a heads up that around the 15 to 17 minute mark, it goes back to normal, but luckily you'll be able to hear Tim because obviously he is the interviewee. He does most of the talking, um, in that first part. So yeah, just wanted to let you know that I'm aware of that and sorry that that happened, but, um, it's real life and just happy to have a new computer because it had been a really long time since I had updated it. But um, I also wanted to let you know that we just finished Food Freedom School, which was a free program that I put out. And we had dozens of women go through the program. It was awesome. I know a lot of people had revelations and definitely some mindset shifts. So I'm going to be having something coming out tomorrow, which is February 7th. Yes, February 7th. So be on the lookout for that and be sure to get on my email list so you can hear about what's going on. And wow, this interview Tim has, like I said, an incredible story and he lost 225 pounds uh, and completely changed the way not only that he looks obviously but like he totally changed his mindset and he made sure that when he was going through his weight loss journey 
that he paid close attention to his mental health and, you know, just really being able to take a really close look at himself and see what was going on. And I really admire that. And it really is so aligned with the mission that I have and what, and the message that I teach, which is like, you can't have weight loss or just like a different life or make a change in your life unless you actually do the real work, which is super hard, but then you'll actually be able to, you know, take that full opportunity to have a completely different life, not only like with your body, but more importantly, on the inside. And Tim is just a prime example of that. I actually found out about him through another podcast that I listened to with Elizabeth Benton called Primal Potential, which is a great podcast as well. And I thought he was really funny and I thought he had an awesome story and we've kind of kept in touch. I think I messaged him and we've kept in touch ever since. And, um, was just so grateful to have him on. So hope you guys like the interview and I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me on. What, uh, my story, I always tell people, pretty much started at birth. I, I was born at an average weight, but it was pretty much downhill from there. Uh, I grew up in a house where, where food was always plentiful. Both of my parents worked in food service. My father you know, trained as a chef. My mother worked in catering. And so... We grew up in restaurants and hotels around, you know, rich foods, being able to order, you know, from the menu or off the menu, whatever it is that we wanted. And when you give, you know, uh, a child with my addictive tendencies, those kind of opportunities to order whatever they can imagine, um, they typically will imagine things pretty lavish. And so uh, I rarely ordered, you know, the fruit and, uh, you know, the vegetables. I was ordering more like you know, the pastas and the rich foods, you know, all the bread we can eat. And I took advantage of those situations, every opportunity I got. And, you know, growing up, we had this little, this little book that we wrote in. And I always tell people, this is the story of when I knew that things were out of control was every year we would write down in this book, you know, who my best friends were, what I was interested in, what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, starting in kindergarten, I had aspirations of becoming a chef more because I was interested in cooking my own food than any other professional development. I just, uh, I love food. And uh, when I turned to nine years old that year, uh, we wrote down my weight had gone over 100 pounds. And I was starting to, you know, gain the appearance of someone whose weight was getting out of control. And uh, my 10th year, we stopped writing the weight down. And then the weight just, you know, mysteriously disappears. That question gets skipped every year. And starting really at age 10, I avoided scales like the plague. I avoided mirrors. I avoided, you know, cameras. Uh, I was embarrassed. And, and there are very few pictures of me from my youth. It's kind of funny. I, I regularly post before and after images of myself. And I have to cycle through the same like eight before pictures because I avoided cameras at all costs. I was like a vampire. I thought, you know, I, if I stayed out of the camera, I wouldn't have to look at what I'd become. And so my weight really spiraled out of control. Uh, I just steadily gained weight over the years until at age 30, I found myself uh, weighing in at 440 pounds. And uh, it wasn't just a weight thing. You know, I, 
I like to tell people how you do anything is really how you do everything. And so, you know, that level of apathy and avoidance of dealing with problems extended into my personal relationships, my professional development, um, my marriage, uh, everything. And I just kind of given up on anything and everything at that point. And it was at that time when I had been called upon to, to teach a class, to come in and speak to an incoming group of, of college freshmen. And I had, I had some experience at that point doing some public speaking. And um, I did a lot of speaking uh, associated with churches and congregations at that point. And so um, when they called upon me to speak, they had identified these five behaviors that they wanted me to focus on to try to teach incoming freshmen to avoid at all costs. And the five behaviors were, you know, what you'd expect. You know, they were alcohol abuse, drug use, um, you know, sexual promiscuity, which is something that is very rampant. You know, they leave the house for the first time and they're excited. Um, and then there was cheating and dishonesty, you know, which, you know, plagiarism being so heavy. And then the fifth one was unhealthy eating habits. And the idea of teaching, you know, a bunch of college freshmen to avoid unhealthy eating habits when I myself weighed in at 440 pounds at that point, I had a size 58 inch waist, which, you know, um, I was always in the big and tall section. All of my clothes were a matter of, you know, finding things that fit more than finding fashion. It was just kind of like, oh, wow, I actually found a pair of pants that fits. I'm going to grab these. And that was how I dressed as well. And so... I just couldn't do it. And at the last minute, I only taught the four things and just avoided the fifth. And I had this object lesson all timed out with these tennis balls. And I decided to leave the unhealthy eating tennis ball in the car when I got to that, that lesson. And it was kind of in that moment that I shared with people that I realized that I'd become a hypocrite, that, that I'd gone down this path and I was now afraid to face reality, and I'd always been, I realized, you know, through much counseling and reflection, these aren't things that I was aware of at the time, but um, I became more aware of how much and how far I had gone to avoid really looking at myself. And so I was this classic perfectionist that, that thought to himself, I'm going to just start being perfect. I'm going to change my diet overnight. And again, this is, you know, not the first time I've tried. I think that it's kind of a misnomer that when people want to lose weight, they talk to fit people who have never really struggled with weight loss and probably don't know uh, a whole lot about losing weight. And so I had tried every diet. I mean, I could, I could review literally any diet on the program at that or on the planet at that point. I tried everything from South Beach to North Pole, um, you know, low carb, low fat, you know, protein spared, modified fast, you know, everything. And um, I thought the only way I'm going to do this is if I'm just perfect. If I'm perfect, I can make this happen. And that commitment really burned like a wildfire inside of me for about 24 hours. And then I failed. Like I, I was immediately off the wagon. Uh -huh. And I found myself in, in my favorite drive through uh, you know, inhaling a two-pound burrito and an order of French fries that literally was so big they put it in a large soda cup. And my, my bout with perfection ended within, you know, within a day. And that's when I realized that I can't, I can't be perfect. I, this is going to, I'm going to lose the weight the same way that it came on, which was one pound at a time. I'm just going to focus on losing one pound. And if I keep losing one pound, one pound, one pound, eventually I can reverse what I've done to myself over the last, you know, 30, 31 years at that point. 
And slowly but surely, that's exactly what I did. Within one year, I actually lost one pound 200 times. So I managed to lose 200 pounds in a year, which took remarkable dedication. And I wasn't perfect. I wasn't flawless. I didn't, I didn't do everything exactly as I should have, but I just kept moving forward. When I had little half steps back, I just continued on the path. And I've been at my goal weight now for, oh, wow. Um, it has been six and a half years that I've been at the same weight, you know, plus or minus uh, five pounds, not including skin surgery, uh, which we can talk about later. But um, not including skin surgery, I've been at the same weight for that long with zero relapses. And I, I really attribute a lot of it to, you know, a bunch of things. But for one, you know, the focus on one pound at a time. And for two, I actually actively participated in, in counseling. I went, I went and I reversed what I'd been doing to myself mentally to ensure that the changes I'd taken physically would last and would stick. And uh, that's kind of my story. Wow. And I got emotional there as you were talking because I can relate to so much of what you said. And I feel like, and congratulations, by the way, for, you know, getting to where you've been and staying there for six and a half years because that's really the hardest part. But it sounds like you kind of through your journey realized that you can't just like eat chicken and salad and that's the way that you can keep it off. You really need to go into your psyche and your stuff and just really look at yourself. And it's so like, I relate to, especially what you said about like just the avoidance of it. Like if I just don't look at it and I don't, I'm not, I don't become aware of what is actually going on. It's so much easier to do that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. We just stay in the box, yeah. Yeah, and, and I really relate, and I'm such a believer with what you said that was um, how you do everything, or how you do one thing is how you do everything, because yeah. once that's like sort of starts, things start like maybe slipping in one area, it becomes so much easier to do it in every area, and you know, this journey of your weight loss is really a metaphor for how we live in every area in the same, in the same way. Um, and I think it was so interesting what you said too about just being a perfectionist and people think that you need, in order to lose weight, that you need to be perfect. That like from one day to the other, a light switch is going to go off and that you're just going to change immediately. And these journeys that we go on are never linear. And I think that's such yeah. an important point to touch upon and to say that like you will definitely go back sometimes. But I think what happens is that once people take that first step back, then they're like, well, F it, I messed up. So I'm just going to go back to where I'm used to being and, you know, where I'm comfortable. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. It's so amazing you said actually, because it's like with weight loss, it's the only habit where we do this, right? Like if you're learning how to play the piano and your fingers slip off the keys and you accidentally hit a key wrong, nobody ever says like, forget it. I'm never playing the piano again. But when it comes to weight loss, we have one bad day, right? 
we have one night where maybe we eat too much ice cream or, you know, we have a, a, a bad dinner. We go out with friends. We have maybe one or two too many drinks, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden we just give up, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, that that, rat, that rolls into a breakfast where we overindulge, which rolls into a, a brunch and then maybe a second brunch. And before you know it, you're just so far off the wagon. It, it just takes one misstep and we're so fast to give up on ourselves. Yes. We're so quick to retreat. And we never do that with other habits, at least, at least with healthy, you know, healthy people that are able to process things, you know, differently than I know I was able to, right? Like my, my addiction to food was an outgrowth of a lot of other things that were taking place inside of me. Yes. And that's not the case necessarily for someone who has to lose like five or 10 pounds. But I will tell you that even with that person, almost all change has to begin in the mind because it's almost never a function of not having enough information or like nobody ever says, Oh my gosh, you mean eating four large pieces in a night isn't good for me. Like we know what we're supposed to do. It's not a matter of not knowing any better. It's a matter of, you know, not having the ability to do any better because of the deep seated programming that's oftentimes within us. A hundred percent. And that's why, you know, what I say and my overall message is that like, you know, I'm a nutritionist, a nutritional therapist. I'm also a, a private chef. So like, I really know a lot about food and I have people and I've had my own journey as well. And people come to me and people, you know, I work one-on-one with people and they come to me desperate and fed up because I also talk a lot about intuitive eating and like, which I have my own thoughts on, like the traditional intuitive eating, which is like, you know, eat whatever you want and lose weight. Like, I really don't think it works that way, at least sustainably for people who are food lovers. Um, So people will come to me and they'll say, you know, just give me a plan and give me a list of foods and just tell me what to eat. Like, that's all I want. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm probably not the right person for, for you to work with. And, if you go that way, it's not going to last. And I really think that it is harder to go into the mind and to see all of your stuff. But then, like, you can really foster a sense, different senses of, like, self-love and self-care where, like, your weight loss can come from that. You know, a beautiful intention that you have for yourself that really comes from, like, uh, you know, the the want and desire to love and care for yourself and want the best for the way that you feel every day versus like, oh, I just need another diet, another control mechanism. Because like you said, too, you went through so many diets and those diets are safe. You know what I mean? They give a sense of control. Um, so I would love for you to talk about what exactly people can do. Uh, I want to ask you kind of like, what you did from a practical standpoint. Um, sure. But I want to, what would you maybe tell somebody that was in it, that's in the place right now where you were, where they've tried many diets, where they haven't wanted to look at themselves, um, maybe haven't wanted to get into counseling, which I think is an amazing idea to do in conjunction with this. What would you tell them, uh, you know, some advice to get, to get started and also maybe touch upon like the baby step phenomena, which is like, yeah. as perfectionists, we want things to happen like yesterday. 
And taking that baby step approach is much harder because then you actually have to be patient. Then you actually have to like sit with yourself. And this is like, you know, something that I still struggle with just like in different aspects of life. You know what I mean? Like athletic pursuits or like stuff in my business. Like I just want it right now, you know, but taking that baby step journey really is I think the best way to do things if you want to keep the lessons that you learn and if you want like sustainability. So I know I just asked you like For sure. questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, I think there's a lot there to unpack. So let's let's um I will tell you that that one of the biggest mistakes that that people oftentimes make is you know, they'll come to me and they'll they'll be looking at weight loss as a solution to help them love themselves again, yes. right? You know, and, and they want to lose weight and, and, and really just find that, that you know, sell get or groove back type of mentality, right? And what, what's funny is that, you know, you don't find self-love at the end of a weight loss journey, right? Like, it, it's really interesting. I, I one time wrote an article called The Perks of Being Morbidly Obese. And I talk about the fact that from a personal standpoint, and this is, this is real talk here, like I really believe that losing weight would solve all my problems. Oh yeah. And and I believe that, you know, my my failing marriage would recover. And I believe that, you know, um I would just reach the top of my professional development instantly. Like, you know, my boss would walk in and he would see me see me thin and he would say, Oh my gosh, you know, you're the person I've been looking for to run my company. Like I had no idea underneath all of that you know, all of that fat, you were, you were a great employee. And then I just thought like everything would click as a result. And I think that this is one of the big reasons for yo-yo, uh, yo-yo being an epidemic in this country where we, we lose weight and we gain weight, we lose weight and we gain weight because we kind of expect everything to click. And what's funny is the, the real thing that changed when I lost weight is I lost weight and that was the change. Now other things happened as a result of the mentality that I hadn't developed to lose that weight. But without making lasting change within myself, within my head and my heart, and again, that, that came through counseling, that came through meditation, that came through introspection, and that came from a commitment to the path more than the destination. And I know that's, that's such a cliche thing to say. That's something that, you know, that millennial girls post on Instagram, you know, with pictures of them, you know, in Rome or whatever. But it really is a real thing, you know, the, the question I get more often than anything else is, you know, people encounter my story and they hear the fact that I lost 200 pounds in a year and they want, they want that quick fix. You know, they want me to tell them, you know, that the men's health top 10 foods to eat to burn, you know, every ounce of fat on your body type of, type of uh, listicle. They want that kind of information from me. And they're asking, you know, how, how fast can I lose 200 pounds? And the first thing I always tell people is say, look, the, the question is not how fast can I lose 200 pounds? It's not, it's not how, how fast can I do this? It's how can I make this last forever? Mm-hmm. That is the first and foremost step that, that I will tell people is that start on a journey that you're committed to, to really living for the rest of your life. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, you know, being perfect and becoming some kind of food monk that only eats, you know, arugula and, and carrots or something. You know, it, it means that you're going to be mindful of this going forward, that you're going to be, you know, um, responsible and intentional about the way that you that you consume food. You're going to change your relationship with it. Really, really think about what you're putting into your body, but not in an obsessive, crazy way, just in a, in a loving and kind way to yourself. 
And if you could start that journey with, with loving and, you know, self-loving and kindness to yourself and a commitment to that journey, it, you're significantly more likely to be able to have it sustain over the long term. But that being said, you know, I, I don't want to intimidate anyone with, with the level of, of clarity that we always seem to have at the end of these journeys, because it's, it, this is a terrible thing that we do to ourselves and comparing ourselves to someone that, like, I've kept my weight off now for six and a half years. I've had a lot of time to think and speak about these things. And I've really been able to process what made me, you know, have some success and maintain success in weight loss. I didn't have that level of clarity on day two. It's not like I knew exactly what I was going to do. So uh, I'll tell you exactly how I started. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. I, all I started with was a commitment. And, and I, you know, I decided I'm going to go to Subway. Like that, I saw the Subway guy, which, you know, in retrospect, terrible person to emulate, yeah. right? Um, you know, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he had his little weight, his subway program and I had met Jared, uh, a few times, um, through a professional relationship and I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to be like Jared. And I started going to subway, you know, twice a day. That's, that's all I knew to do. And then, you know, that didn't really work out for me again. I, I was suffering from cravings too hard. And so. I thought to myself, I'm, I'm going to make, you know, little incremental changes. And so I thought back to Benjamin Franklin. And I don't know if you know the story of Benjamin Franklin, but he decided he wanted to become perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And he realized that he couldn't do it all at once, but he would do like one thing at a time. And he would focus on a single virtue for an entire month. And he would say, you know, whether or not he had lived that, that virtue. Like there's no, there's no like, there's no portions when it comes to pasta in my life. Uh, one of my favorite jokes from Louis C.K. is he says, you know, the meal isn't over when I'm full, the meal's over when I hate myself. Yep. You know, that, that's really, <laughs> that was really what it was like. So for me, I just said, okay, I'm going to avoid white pasta, I'm going to avoid white flour for an entire week. And then I did it. And I was like, okay, you know, I could do that. And then I, you know, avoided white sugar. And then I took it so far as to say, okay, now I'm not going to have, like, any food in bags. I'm going to avoid, like, processed foods, heavily processed things. Because for me... You know, I joke about this, but my mom tells everyone my, my first word as a baby was Dorito. And uh, I don't know if that's apocryphal. It seems to me that, you know, a three-syllable word for my first word is pretty dang impressive. And I, I like to pat myself on the back about that. But <laughs> either, way, either way, Doritos played a, a huge part of my youth. So I avoided those in the third week. And it was just one little change at a time. And so I, I will tell you that, that that isn't a magic formula. That's, that's what works for me. And the key to starting a journey is, is to start and to just take that path, you know. When you think about all the great stories throughout history, you know, like you look at Lord of the Rings. Fro Frodo didn't know he was going to end up like in, in Mount Dune on Mordor with, with, with Samwise. And I'm getting a little nerdy here, but he didn't know where he was going. Like uh, all the great epic tales, you know, they didn't know where it was going to end. They just knew what their goal was, and they kept on walking towards that goal. In Act 2, the hero always takes a misstep. The hero always fails, right? They always, you know, they always say no to the journey at first. These things are classic story tropes, but they're real life, too. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we will fail. We will stumble, but we just have to be committed to keep on going forward. The, the credits don't roll until the hero is successful. And so if we're prepared to see that movie through in, in our own lives until the end, we're going to find our way to to the credits, you know? Yes. And I think it's so important to note too, that like, I call what you touched upon kind of like future tripping, like, Oh, when this thing happens, then I'll be okay. 
then yeah. everything will be perfect. And that is, that's happened to me like on stage when I got my master's degree, I was like, oh, when I, you know, finish this really hard thing that I just did, then I'm going to be like yeah. a perfect human. Um, and everything's just going to be okay. And I won't have to look at like the internal stuff that I have gone through my whole life. But I remember like shaking the guy's hand and looking at my family in the audience and being like, that's it. Like yeah. nothing happened. And <laughs> so many times I was like, I just did all that and it didn't work, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's happened to me with, with my own weight loss. And that's why, um, I have gained and relost weight in the, I did that in the first, I lost, uh, about 50 pounds, like uh, 10 or 12 years ago. And for the first, uh, five years, I kind of went up and down and even like four years ago, I gained 20 pounds. And I had thought that even though that's like not that much weight, I had thought that I had it all figured out. I had thought yeah. that like, you know, everything was like, quote unquote, fixed in my life and everything. But until, but I hadn't done that work that you're talking about. Like for me, it was all just about the body. Like, oh, if I just look good, then it's fine. And yeah. everything's going to be perfect and cool. But that was not the case. And it hasn't been until these last like four years or so that I have stayed in, in a place that I feel great at. But it's really only because I went to those like shadow places and dark places and worked through stuff. And that's what I really want people to to realize and to know that that also with something that you touched on, too, that like you have all the food lists and everything, but it really just begins with kindness and being kind to yourself. Like, what is the kindest thing that I can do for myself right now? And that really food is such a powerful way that we can do that with the actual food we eat and the behaviors around them. Um, Absolutely. I'm also interested, yeah. like obviously in a practical sense, you, you completely changed the way that you eat. You said you did it in like a baby step way. And people think with weight loss that you have to restrict and deprive and it's going to be like this really tough thing and when people go on that route that maybe they do like an atkins diet for a really 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 long time which i don't think is sustainable for most people um how did you keep while losing weight how did you keep a healthy relationship with food and kind of Absolutely. view food in um you know not to get to that obsessive place because i feel like it's so easy for people to go there if they want to do it quickly. But since you really took that sustainable approach, what did it look like and how did you keep that healthy relationship with food? For sure. Yeah. So I, I, I wanted to balance my, you know, my changing of the way I ate with not making it feel like a torture chamber. Right. Like yes. <laughs> I, 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 and you don't have to like, exactly. I, I absolutely learned that there were tons of, of quote unquote healthy foods that I also loved the taste of. Yes. And there wasn't a single time when I was on my weight loss journey where I felt like, and even afterwards where I felt like, Oh my gosh, what I wouldn't give to eat that. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I don't have the, I didn't feel like the burning passion other than like maybe the first, you know, few weeks, you know, Doritos and I going through our little breakup, we, yep. you know, 
it was definitely hard. I, I kept looking at her Instagram, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about Doritos, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm <laughs> yep. searching for pictures of her on the internet and thinking, <laughs> is she, is she happy with whoever she's with now? But, you know, like th- there were a couple moments like that in the first few weeks, but today, you know, it's funny. I, I got this email this week from someone saying like, Hey, I, I, I did your thing. And, and I, I got off the white flour and, you know, I'm, I'm Italian though. Do you think I'll ever be able to go back to pasta? Mm. You know, I, I, I responded, you know, that's not, I, I don't think the question is, can you ever go back to pasta? Like, yeah, you could eat pasta right now, you yeah. know? But the question is, is, you know, it, it, can you get to a part where, you know, you only, you know, you really crave that which is great for you and good for you. And I did reach this point where at this point, when I sit down and I look at a menu, I, I, when I see a, you know, macaroni and cheese that's covered in, you know, that's deep fried and, and with Doritos crumbled over top mm-hmm. and, you know, some lavish, I don't, I don't covet that thing anymore. I, yeah. I don't even desire it because uh, I got to a point where I was consuming so many whole foods, uh, not the grocery store, but the, the type of food where, mm-hmm. you know, I was eating vegetables and I'm eating, you know, uh, meats and I'm eating you know, things that I really loved, but also made me feel incredible. And that was kind of like fuel on the fire for me was the way that it made me feel. And that, that came as a result of meditation again. And, and, um, through counseling, I was really focused on the way that this diet, you know, and I use diet in the the holistic sense, Mm -hmm. the way that what I was eating was actually making me feel inside. And I realized that those benefits were so great. Like, you have to think about it with food addiction. We're obviously in an unhealthy place and I'll, I'll compare it to an extreme here. Like if you're, if you're sitting in your office, right. And you're, you're at your cubicle or your desk and one of your coworkers comes in and it's lunchtime and you're feeling a little bit hungry and they say, you know what, you know what, uh, Tim, I, I just, I picked up some heroin and I wanted to know if you want to go do some heroin at lunch. You know, you, you're going to say no to that question unless you're a heroin user because somewhere along the line you decided I'm not going to be that person, right? And no one craves it, right? There, there's a good chance if you crave heroin, you've already been an addict, right? Yep. No one, quote unquote, normal people with normal desires that, that have never indulged in that type of substance don't, don't think to themselves, gosh, what I wouldn't do for some heroin right no, now. You know, exactly. like, it just doesn't because you decided a long time ago, I'm just not going to be a heroin user and you don't crave it. And so, uh, you know, I think that if we can get to that stage, and that's what I, I tell people, you know, with pasta, it, it isn't the question of when can you reintroduce it, it's do you really, like, do you want it? If you do, then you should eat it. And yeah. you should learn to, to live with that and be okay with it and not see food as, food is not Satan, right? There's no, there, food doesn't wage wars with good and evil, mm-hmm. right? It's just food. And exactly. so, you know, if, if you can maintain a healthy relationship with it, whatever it is, great and and continue down that path. And, um, I, I think that when we get to that stage, we're a lot better off and, um, you know, we learn to manage everything a little bit better. Yeah. And then you can really come back to your intention. Like my intention is to feel good. And that's what I tell my clients. And that's what I think to myself as well, because like we live in this very like foodie culture where, you can go out any night of the week and get these concoctions like you talked about that like a lot of people are like god i want it oh my god but it becomes a point where it's just like not appealing like you said because you just associate it with the way that you feel and then everything else that gets affected from that and that is like exactly 
what I talk about when I mean like a sustainable relationship with food. And I kind of feel the same way also that it like there's certain foods that I don't eat and it's not obsessive. It's not crazy. It is super easy for me because of that intention that I have. Now, when did you, what was your movement like before you lost the weight, maybe during, and what does your movement practice look like now? Because I think that's the other component that we can apply everything that we're talking about with food to the movement as well, with the extremes and the ability for like, you know, two hours of cardio plus like an hour of CrossFit plus whatever else, like people do that. And I, I used to do that too. Like I used to like be like, I'm going to do this for an hour and this for an hour. And then like, like I used to literally run for one hour and then do like 40 minutes of the stair climber every day. And, and I would feel like shit, but I'm like, I don't even care because this is getting me to my goal. But again, I was coming from that like hateful place. So how has your like attitude about movement and then also the actual movement that you do? Because I know that you're somebody that's like to this day committed to their movement. So kind of walk us through that. Yeah. So, you know, long cardio and I, we've, we've had an abusive relationship over the years and it's kind of funny, you know, when it comes to exercise, it's very similar to diet in so much, you know, I don't know about you, but growing up, my parents had a magnet on the fridge and it said that, you know, uh, I think it was a Garfield magnet and it said that the word diet is just die with a T on the end, you know, and that was, <laughs> that, that was on awesome. our fridge. <laughs> and I think we, we equate diet and exercise, you know, with some kind of medieval torture devices. Like if, yeah. if you're not, you know, it's like, if you're not hurting, you're not working hard enough. And it's like, I mean, yeah, you should push yourself and you have to be determined when it comes to fitness. But you know, first and foremost, I will tell you that when it comes to weight loss and, and maintenance, the the 50th best exercise routine, when compared to the to the best exercise routine, the, the results are going to be so minimally different that it's hardly even worth discussing unless you're trying to become an Olympian. Like if you're trying to become a professional athlete, yeah, those little tweaks matter a lot. Mm-hmm. But if you're just trying to stay in shape, you know, the exercise that you'll do is significantly more important than, you know, the exercise that's quote unquote best. And so I will tell you, when I first started losing weight, I set this goal. And so I was 30 days in, I'd already lost 30 pounds. You know, the weight was just pouring off. Mm -hmm. And again, those, those results are not for most people, right? I was, I was almost 450 pounds, like rolling over in the middle of the night would make me lose a pound. Like Mm -hmm. I was really out of shape. And so Um, I wasn't moving at all. You know, I was, I was addicted to video games. I was a huge like world of Warcraft addict. Um, I don't know if I've ever admitted that in public, Um, (laughs) but yeah, I I really had a problem and I was on my rear end, you know, all day at work and then all night at home. And so when I first started losing weight 30 days in, I set my goal and I put it on Facebook because you know, that's what the cool kids do, I guess, Mm -hmm. or at least that's what they did. And so like I posted, okay, by the age of 35, I'm going to run a marathon. And so at this point, I'm 31 years old and I'm still over 400 pounds. And I'm sure like a lot of people liked it. You know, they, they were cheering me on, you know, go get them, you know, probably not expecting me to, to really be successful in that goal. 
But for me, I'd always equated running with fitness. I grew up in the golden age of the presidential fitness challenge, you know, where you'd get a letter signed by Arnold Schwarzenegger and the president saying you were in shape if you could run a mile in under, I think it was eight minutes or something. And so I always just thought running equals fitness. So I wanted to run a marathon. And so during my weight loss journey, I couldn't run, you know, being over 400 pounds, it wasn't safe, it wasn't smart. And so I did a lot of elliptical and rowing machine for the first few months, you know, going in the gym. I even, I even managed to go swimming a couple of times, which was a terrifying experience for the first time. We can revisit that sometime, but um, <laughs> they, I, I kept on with the cardio, but I really fell in love with weightlifting. And so when I started lifting weights, I, I just, I loved the way it made me feel. You know, I, I just, I'd leave the gym and, and I'd be a little bit sore. You know, I wasn't torturing myself, but I just loved the workouts and I loved the movement. I loved, I, I was really mindful and intentional about the whole thing. And I, I loved the, the linear that it, for World of Warcraft addict you know, progressing through the weights where it was like a game to me. It was like, oh, now I can lift 65 pounds 12 times, whereas last week I can only do 60. And it was like, it felt like I was leveling up. Like I saw myself like a video game character. Mm. And so it was, it was a lot of fun and I was actually enjoying myself. But in the back of my mind, I was a runner. I was learning how to run. And so once I had gotten to my, you know, gotten 200 pounds off, it was the next year and uh, one year later, I registered for a 5K, and I ran my first race, and my friends and family were all there. It was super exciting. It was awesome. And then I registered for a half marathon. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. First, I did a sprint triathlon, and I loved that. And then I, I registered for my half marathon, and I'm out, and I'm running on a Saturday morning. And it's just, you know, I live in Southern California where it's, you know, 70 degrees, 300 days a year. And, you know, I'm running. It's this beautiful California day. And I'm about like four or five miles from my front door when I have this realization that I hate running. Like I absolutely hate it. Like I'm doing it. And, and in, in elementary school, it was a torturous experience. You know, I, I remember the watching the kids laugh at me as I jiggled across the, the finish line. Right. And, and it was just like, it was awful. And, and I'm running and I'm, I'm not jiggling as much. I've got crazy loose skin at that point, but it's not like, like I can run and I look, I look like a decent person doing it, but I just hate it. I still hated it. And I, I, I realized, you know what, why am I doing this? You know, but at that point, my story had been in the Wall Street Journal. I'd been on HuffPo a couple of times. Like I'd done a bunch of, of stuff and people were paying attention to my weight loss journey. Oh, are you okay? Yeah, I dropped my pen. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> I felt like, no worries. It's like, boom. <laughs> Yeah, you you have a barbell pen or something. I know. You know that's only twenty pounds. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So I I was uh, I realized I just I hated it. No matter what I did to running, I just I hated running. And so I I went home that day and I said, you know what? I'm just I'm not going to run anymore. And I went public. I told everyone I'm done. I'm not I'm not going to run a marathon. I know that was my goal, but you know I started researching and I had come to the realization that running. Not only was it not necessarily the the best way to to prove my fitness, right? I mean, running a marathon is not it's not necessarily a sign of, of good physical health. And I know mm-hmm. we've talked in the past about you know male body issues. Yeah. Nobody ever looks at a male marathon runner and thinks, mm, I want to look like that. You know, yeah. like yeah, you know, the people that run marathons are typically very very rail thin, and that's not that's not. 
I didn't want to look like that. I didn't, I didn't really care enough about that goal to do it. It was more of an ego thing at the end. And I realized if I, if I let my ego control my weight loss journey, I'm just going to relapse. And so I, I'm confident that if I had met my marathon goal and I'd run my marathon by the time I was 35, I would have regained the weight. I, I absolutely would have because I would have been losing weight for the wrong reason. I would have been running a marathon for the wrong reason and I would have gone back. And so I stopped and I just, I, I, I told people for years I never ran again. I recently moved to the banks of the LA River and we have this path right along the LA River which is just begging to be run. So I have gone and I've run it a few times but for me running like if and when I do it, it's to be outside and it's to enjoy that nature. It's no longer about, you know, I've got to run my marathon to prove that I can do it. It's about let me just go outside and really enjoy, you know, this space and enjoy this this beautiful area where I live more than anything else. And so I've really learned to change the way I move. I still, I still lift weights. I'm in the gym, you know, four to five days a week. Mm -hmm. uh, I typically go first thing in the mornings and I, I absolutely love it. It gives me more energy. It feeds my creativity. It's where I have my best ideas. Um, and it's just, it is literally my favorite thing in the world, um, to do, you know, outside of my family is to, is to go to the gym and, and exercise. And if you can find an exercise that makes you feel like that, and I found a lot like I I go I go rock climbing and I, I do martial arts and I exercise for me is fun and, and it should be it absolutely should be fun if you can't find exercise you enjoy you're, you're definitely not looking hard enough play sports you know ultimate frisbee is, is something that I've had a few clients do you know there's no there's no wrong way to exercise as long as you're just moving and having fun and I mean, unless you're you know, jumping off of cliffs or something yeah. you know, that could cause you physical harm, <laughs> have fun with it. Go, mm -hmm. go enjoy it. And heck, if cliff diving's your thing, just buy life insurance first. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. But like, you know, <laughs> it's a blast. Yeah. So. And, and I think even when we get to that point, and this is something that I still deal with, even if you love it, it still does take like, you know, a level of like loving discipline because like yes. it still feels good to like lay in bed and yes. and to not move so i think initially you know it might feel good and it's like you don't you might like feed off of motivation but i always say that motivation is kind of crap because it's a finite resource so you're going to need something else to get you up in the morning to have you you know eat those real whole delicious foods and that comes back to like everything that we've been talking to is like the way that you, the way that you feel being the motivator, but like that you do need to have a certain level of dedication and commitment that you can pull upon every single day and just kind of like go through the motions, even when you don't feel like doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's still mornings when I get up and you know, the covers are over you yeah. and you know, I, I'm human, right? I'm not, I'm not like some kind of you know, unfeeling monster that exactly. doesn't enjoy the warmth of the bed. I mm -hmm. definitely, you know, there have been times when, you know, I woke up and I thought, you know, today would feel like a good day to take off. Yeah. But the biggest thing again, and we, we've talked so much about introspection and, and, you know, intention and mindfulness. When I miss a day or two of exercise, I feel it. And, yeah. and one of the reasons why I feel it is because I take the time to feel it. And yeah. so, so many people, and I will tell you, I have seen so many of my good weight loss friends um, who have relapsed and gained weight. And one of the first things they do is they stop checking in, right? Mm. Um, 
there became this movement a few years back. I, I don't know whatever happened, but people got on this religious crusade against the scale, right? Like, break up with your scale, yes. girl, he's too good, he's not good enough yeah. for you. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's just like, it's a, it, the scale measures your mass, right? It, I don't know, I have a really nice scale, actually. Like, I bought, I bought one of these scales that, like, connects to the internet, and, mm. like, it measures your water inside of you, it oh, does wow, your taxes, fancy. you know? <laughs> like, you step on it, and it, it, you know. But it's never once have I stepped on it, and it has given me a self-worth rating. It's never mm-hmm. like said, mm-hmm. you're a good human being. Such it's a only, good point. <laughs> it's only protected mass. And so yep. the problem is, is like, I get it. You shouldn't relate emotionally bad feelings with your weight. I, I That is so important. But you also shouldn't register, emo- like, here's the thing, you can't go the other way either. Like you can't, you can't feel good or bad about it. You just have to realize it's a number. It is, it is a measurement. It is a, a completely scientific thing, and it is nothing more or less than that. And what what happens is, is weight loss people they lose weight, they get to their bottom weight, and then they they quote unquote break up with their scale. But what they're really doing is they're breaking up with mindfulness. Mm-hmm. They're deciding I'm not going to pay attention to this anymore, and I'm just going to think I've got it. I've got it on mastery. But no one does that. Do you think Michael Jordan got to the point where he was like, well, I got this basketball thing. I, I don't have to practice anymore. I, I don't have to measure. Like, I don't have to watch film about, you know, the opposing team. I, I'm Michael Jordan. I've got it, you know? Mm-hmm. No, of course not. The reason he's Michael Jordan is because he kept practicing. Yep. And if you want to keep the weight off, you've got to keep doing the things that made you successful. And, and one of those things is just monitoring how you feel. So when I miss that workout, I check in with myself. And I feel the way that I feel. And, and there are, if I miss two or three workouts in a row, I notice inside of me, I start to feel sluggish. Mm-hmm. The, I'm not as mentally clear. I'm not, I, I can sense those minor changes in my inner game that bring me down a notch. And that affects me everywhere, professionally, personally, emotionally. Like it, it, is, it is a big thing for me. So that's one of the things that helps me kick those covers off. Yeah. on those warm mornings is, is just being mindful of the way that it makes me feel yeah, to and do it or to not do it. Exactly. And it goes back to how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah. And you made a really good point of something I would love to talk to you about uh, is that this sort of stuff that has infiltrated our culture in like the body positive movement, intuitive eating, smash your scale, And I get that, like their stuff, like people literally smashing their scales and people really being mean to people and looking down upon people for even wanting to lose weight because you should quote unquote, love yourself the way you are. Um, and I am part, you know, I really try to stay, uh, on top of like what people are saying about anything that has to do with like this stuff with food. And I just try to like be in different worlds and stay on top of what's happening. And I'm in a couple intuitive eating groups and there's people that are, that don't feel comfortable in their bodies that, you know, don't weigh themselves that, um, are still, you know, waking up and eating cake because that's what their body is telling them. And then, which if you're eating cake, your body will tell you, you know, to eat more. Like yes. that's just a thing that, that happens. There's no emotion involved in that. That's just like a physiological thing that happens. Um, but 
what do you what do you think of that because i really think that these people um like for example those people that are like i'm uncomfortable blah 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 but like i'm just trying to listen to my body but i don't want to diet and people stay stuck and uncomfortable because they feel like they can't give into diet culture they can't give into the scale they can't give into eating whole foods so what do you think of that? And and yeah. how can people kind of shift their mindset? Because I really think that the best place to be in for me and for people to create actual change in their lives and still have a healthy relationship with food, you have to kind of be somewhere in the middle. Like when you're not yeah. obsessive, but then you're also like on that other side where you become, and even you touched upon this in the beginning, where you felt apathetic. So like there's two different extremes and so what would you say to somebody that is in that world right now that feels bad because other people have told them that it's bad to want to weigh themselves or to change the way that they eat or move yeah this one and i'll tell you i this is a tough one it, it is yeah, a tough is. one to get to because you you have to get to the point you know i'll tell you where is the perfect like quote-unquote zen place is to it's to not care, but be effortless about not caring, right? Yeah. We get to this point where we, we, we don't care so hard that we're actually caring about it, right? And so, you know, the, I will tell you that when it comes to self-love or any kind of love, it's not conditional, right? Mm-hmm. And, and no, no true love is conditional. And, and what I mean by this, and I, I help people understand this all the time because they oftentimes don't love their bodies and they don't love themselves and they think, Oh, once I, you know, you talked earlier about conditional happiness, which is, is not, not real happiness. It never is. Because if you think about your relationship with a family member or a significant other, what would they have to do to get you to stop loving them? Like what, what, if you think about, if you're a mother with a child, like what would your child have to do for you to stop loving them? And and the answer that 99.9% of parents would give is there's literally nothing. There's nothing my child could do that would ever make me stop loving them. And yet with ourselves, we withdraw from ourselves constantly, right? We, you know, we make one misstep and we withdraw that love. So let let me speak to body positivity for a second, because I will tell you, um, my father about a year after I lost my weight, Pat, he had a, he had a major stroke, which debilitated him for the remainder of his life where he, you know, he had been an Ivy league graduate. He was literally the most brilliant man I've ever known. He had, you know, multiple amputations. He, he was a shell of his former self, mm. and it was all related to lifestyle, right? My dad, he he was German, so he was born with, you know, uh, blood alcohol content. <laughs> um, you know, he he smoked until the day he died, mm-hmm. um, or until the day he had a stroke, anyways. And they took the cigarettes away. Um, he, you know, he lived and ate. Uh, like a man of passion and I I couldn't stand in that room after his amputations and, and after all those things and just say well you know just love your body through all of that stuff yeah. you know um, I, I think that it's critical that we learn to love ourselves but at the same time being irresponsible with our health um, is not is not body positivity it's it's body insensitivity it oh, is yes. it is body destruction and and i get it like okay i'm not i i don't think we all need to look like swimsuit models 
I, I've tried. I mean, I, <laughs> I've tried to do the whole like get shredded mm -hmm. thing where I like I got super strict on my diet after I had my skin surgeries because mm -hmm. I wanted to test. I wanted it was more of an experiment. I wanted to see how like how muscular I could really get and how, you know, what my body could really look like. But I realized at a certain point that the level of commitment it took to look like a shredded Olympian dude. Yeah. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, in, I wasn't down for that. Like it just, to me, there was a happy medium. I want to be healthy. I want to be strong. I want to have, I'm more concerned about longevity. Like I'm, I'm approaching 40 years old. Um, and, and now I'm starting to think to myself, okay, how do I make sure I can live to be 120 and like play with my, my eventual grandkids, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I want to be, I want to be like the guy that I want to be, I, I want, I want my great grandkid to stand. Like I'm swimming the, the English channel with my great grandfather this weekend. Like I want to be that guy, right. Where I'm, I'm in shape and I'm living the life. I'm not limited by my physical, um, nature. And so I will say body positivity misses the mark in that, in that regard. Like body positivity should not lead to mistreatment of self. Mm. It shouldn't lead to, it shouldn't lead to bad decision making. And if you think like for a second that, you know, eating cake every day is somehow being kind to your body, it's what you're probably doing is you're numbing your senses. The heroin user could say the same thing. Say, I wake up every morning and my body's telling me to use heroin. Your yeah. body is out of whack in that regard. And, and sometimes we have to lead our bodies. We have to we have to be the ones controlling our urges a little bit and and really seeking after the life that we design to live like what don't live your life by default live it yeah. by design and what mm -hmm. do you want your life to look like and you know if ultimately you want your life to be you know shortened by 20 30 years because of of dietary decisions and do that like if your goal is to live only to be like 50 years old but you want to you know consume and do everything without regard for longevity, then, then just do it intentionally. I, I will fight and die for your right to, to make that decision. But, but don't, don't deceive yourself into thinking that somehow being positive about your, uh, about bad life decisions is going to, you know, outweigh the deleter deleterious effects of poor eating and, and mismovement. Exactly. And I'm in a hundred percent agreement with all of this because as I worked hard to heal my relationship with food to not be obsessive, I kind of went, you know, the intuitive eating world and body positivity was very appealing to me because it that it kind of takes me off the hook. You know? Yeah. It it doesn't uh give me it didn't give me the the level of commitment and dedication that I have like to myself, to my eating, to my movement. So um, I think all of those points are really important and that it can be really possible to live somewhere in the middle because like you said, to be shredded is just like not fun at all. It's yeah, like, no, it's not fun. You know, and it's like you, that's like what your life becomes. And that's again, another point of like, you're going in the other extreme um, as well. But like for some people, they're they're cool with that and that's fine yeah. too, you know? It's their dream life. And it, that's, it, again, if it's, it's in your intention, yeah. that's great. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So we were kind of talking before about male body image and body image in general. And body image is something for women that's talked about like all the time. Um, yeah. But for men, it's not really ever talked about. And I'm so curious, like, it's apparent that through your, your journey and where you are now that you 
like totally became a different person, like, for sure, you know, in your head. And then as a result, your body changed. Um, but kind of talk about that, the mental shifts that happened, like if you can be a little bit uh, specific, maybe like in um, the beliefs that you had, how those changed and your journey with body image and how different it has become uh, from, you know, you in the past to you now. And if you still have struggles in that area. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that unfortunately, you know, when it comes to any type of feelings, you know, men are still not comfortable talking about the way that things make them feel. Yeah. And it's, it's a really, I think that is a growing change. You know, obviously we're, we're a lot better at it than, than men in the fifties, but we still have a long way to go. And so I will tell you, I remember being in seventh grade, right. And going to a gym class for the first time and being told that I had to put on gym clothes, which meant, you know, getting undressed in front of other boys for the first time, right. In front of other guys, you know, mm-hmm. having to deal with that. And I remember, you know, my best friend, uh, my best friend, his name was Omar growing up. And um, I was in love with this girl, but she was in love with Omar. And one of the big reasons, at least what I told myself, is because Omar had abs, you know, like Omar was was shredded, you know, already at, at age 13. Uh, he looked like, you know, a GQ model. And I, I told myself for years that, that the big reason was that. But then, um, you know, when I saw who she dated, like she didn't date guys with abs, like even after, you know, Omar and her didn't work out. And I realized that like that was a comfortable lie. It's a lot easier to, to blame Omar's abs on, you know, my lack of dating than it was to blame myself. Yeah. And so when it comes to, to male body, I... I've struggled so much over the years. We we look at Barbies for girls, but you look at GI Joes for guys, and those they don't have pod bellies, right? Like they definitely male males have a lot of role models as well that are all you know Ryan Gosling looking shredded dudes, right? That's that's what's popular out there. So when I first started losing weight, I I signed up at the gym. You know, I went in there and I said I'm going to lose all my weight. You know, I'm over 400 pounds and. They, they signed me up, they took my money because they're always glad to do that. And um, I worked with a trainer and the trainer challenged me after you know a couple sessions. She said, look, you know, I noticed you're, you're starting to get a little bit sore. Why don't, you, why don't you go swimming? You know, why don't you do a swimming workout? And I thought, oh my gosh, um, okay, we're at? And she said, oh, there's a pool in the back. And we go back there and there's like three lanes. And I think, okay, this will be easy because no one was there and I figured like, the pool kind of like when you went outside you saw like tumbleweeds going by so I figured nobody uses the pool anyway so it'll be (laughs) fine and so I went out there um the next day I came back to the gym for my workout and I'm in my swim trunks you know I had to go buy a set of swim trunks because I would not have been caught dead with my shirt off at that point and um when I walk out there two of the three swimming lanes are occupied by you know Orange County blondes you know and, and what you see on the TV show, the OC, like that's, unfortunately that's reality. Like everyone there is so beautiful. I, and I'm not talking about myself here. I bring the curve way down, mm-hmm. but like these people are like, like all just swimsuit models. And I thought to myself, this is the moment where my weight loss journey could die. Like this is, mm-hmm. I could turn around and I could say my pride is, is too important, but 
I saw them in the pool and I thought to myself, okay, well, I guess, you know, I just, I got to do this. And I was scared of being laughed at. I was scared of the appearance. And I, so I, I ripped off my shirt and jumped in the pool as fast as I could. And, you know, I was out there flopping around for 30 minutes. I, I was not a good swimmer. Uh, I'm still not that great of a swimmer, but um, I did my workout. And I will tell you that they never looked at me as far as I could see. They never laughed. I never, I never felt uncomfortable. But when they got out of the pool, one of them was looking at herself and saying, like, I would do anything to get rid of this, you know, speaking about her stomach. And it, it, it's funny, we're all uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if you yeah. look like a swimsuit model or or you look like, you know, what I looked like at that time. And um, we all have that discomfort and we have to deal with that. You know, even when we lose our weight, you see, then then we start obsessing over our loose skin. And mm-hmm. um, even my experience in having loose skin removal, you know, I I would have never paid for loose skin removal. I, uh, I'm probably not supposed to say this. The, the, I was on a TV show where I had my skin removed and, you know, they, they don't they really overdramatize the losing of skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was no big deal. Like, I didn't really hate the way that I looked. It was like, hey, if I could get rid of this, I'd do it. But, you know, it wasn't something that kept me up at night. It didn't, yeah. it didn't dramatically change the way that I lived because at a certain time, you know, through a lot of counseling, I had to learn to accept myself. And, like, you've got to get past that. It, one, I don't know if you've ever seen this. This guy does these videos called Bro Science. Have you seen him? He does a lot of like comedic stuff. Yes, yes, I have. Yeah. So he has this line, and and he's joking. It, it's all satire, but this line is is so apropos. And he said, "The first day that you work out is the last day you'll ever be comfortable with your body." Yep. Like, yeah. And it's, right. It's just like. <laughs> and you think it's the other way that, around. Yeah. You know. You think like, oh my gosh, you know why those guys look at themselves after every set in the mirror? It's because they, they, they still want to look better. Like yep. they can't, they can't get there. They never find satisfaction. It, it's like that old line from Mad Men that, you know, Don Draper's doing his little pitch and he says, you know, what is happiness? It's the moment right before you realize you need more happiness. Yeah. It's like, that's, it's absolutely crazy that we can't, we just chase it and chase it. And we never get to this point where we can look in the mirror and say, you're, you're good enough. Like you're good. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy with you. That doesn't mean you become apathetic. That doesn't mean that you go on the other extreme of body acceptance where you're just saying, whatever my body looks like, it's going to look like, and I'm just going to do me. It, it, it just means I'm going to live my life in balance. And no matter what happens, I'm going to love myself through it. I'm going to make the changes and, and make the decisions that will give me the life that I truly desire and everything else. Well, it can, it can go to the hot place. Like I'm, I'm done yeah. with that stuff. And, and I think that that's the point we really need to get to with our with our body image, especially. Yeah. And I, again, relate to everything that you said, because when I, I reached a point uh, probably five or six years ago where I was like in that phase and I got down to a weight that was unhealthy for me, where I like lost my period, my teeth were turning like funny colors And it was like, you know, it wasn't a healthy place, but I still wasn't happy. You know, I was like, well, it's just, you know, even though like it wasn't, it would have been, wouldn't have been healthy for me to lose more weight. My mind wasn't in the most loving place because I still didn't like my body. And I had gotten to that weight, like that number to me that was like, well, that's just going to fix everything where now I 
I'm heavier than, than that point, but I like, I don't feel like I need to change my body ever. And I'm like so happy and, um, comfortable and I feel amazing and I really truly do love my body, but it has nothing to do with my body, which is so crazy because people think that like, you'll have a, a healthy body image once you get this certain body, but sounds weird that body image has nothing to do with bodies, but it really is the truth. And I feel like, like more people need to hear that message. That is so true. Body image is, is one of those things that we can blame other problems on. And like for me, and and to give you a perfect example, um, the marriage thing was a huge thing. Like Mm. it was so much easier to say that my marriage was failing because I weighed 440 pounds. Yeah. Like, because the fact is, is that, like if I really wanted to analyze things, it was the fact that we stopped talking and it was, mm. it was the fact that I allowed my weight to become a wedge issue in my relationships and in my family that I, anytime something bad happened to me, I said, well, you know, they, they don't, they don't call me because, you know, I'm, I'm 400 pounds. Like that's why the girl doesn't like me. But in reality, like at a certain point you have to realize like, who are you really inside and what, what is really taking place with you? Because you can't just blame everything on your weight. Yeah. I, I always say like I my I was in sales when I was losing the weight and my sales went up by almost a hundred percent the year after I lost my weight. Mm. And you know, the question I, I typically get asked is, well, you know, is that because you like people treated you differently or because your confidence changed? And you know, it it's probably a little bit of both, but it it is almost definitely more in the column that had to do with the way that I saw myself. And not the way that other people saw me. It, it's definitely more, more you. And and you, you lose the weight. Not everything changes. At a certain point, you have to deal with, you know, what are the actual decisions that are getting between you and your dream life. And chances are, the same decisions that you're making poorly that led to your your weight gain and to your loss of control over food have led to your loss of control in personal relationships, professional relationships, and everything else. Absolutely. And like you said, it's way easier to just blame it on, on the weight and instead of actually dealing with like, for some people, a lifetime of conditioning and habits and beliefs that are tough to dismantle, but it's so possible and so worth it to, to do so. And I think that you are like a prime example of, of all of that. And thank you for sharing all of that. So so beautifully um we're gonna move to the quick fire questions i just have a couple um okay you're on death row what would (laughs) okay already a morbid question (laughs) um you're on death row what would be your last meal so if if i couldn't get like a cake with a file like (laughs) baked into it so i could escape that's true Um, yeah yeah no i hmm, last meal you know what they're very Few, few things I love more than pork belly. Mm. Um, I would say pork belly and Brussels sprouts would oh, probably delicious. be the last, the last meal. Which is funny because I could eat those things tonight, right? Yep. Like I, I could definitely; those aren't foods that I avoid. I, I definitely eat pork belly in, in moderation, just because I know that I'm capable of eating four pounds of it. Yep. But yeah, th- that would be, that would be my last meal: pork belly and Brussels sprouts. And I love that it's a meal that you eat that you could eat right now, you know, and or tonight or whatever. Um, yep. what is your favorite vegetable? Um, 
So yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to be redundant and, and say Brussels sprouts. Yep. It's probably my favorite. Um, although I love zucchini, I could yes. probably eat zucchini every day for the rest of my life. Like between zoodles and carving it up into little like zucchini boats, there's there's no way that I won't eat zucchini. So squashes as a whole are are some of my favorite vegetables. So yeah, and they're so underrated. Like oh, there's oh so gosh, many things yeah. you could do with them, even like roasting them or like pan roasting them. All delicious. What Absolutely. about your favorite fruit? Favorite fruit is probably mangoes. Mm. If I had to pick one, yeah, I, I love mangoes. So I, I didn't have them until I was like 17. And I remember the first time someone like carved up in the perfect little grid formation. I remember just yes. thinking they were so magical and incredible and, and different. So I love mangoes. You got to come visit me in Miami during the summertime yeah. to get the the best mangoes of your life. That's mine. Mangoes and bananas are my favorite. Absolutely. Also. Um and what is the greatest advice that you've ever I know that you uh have gone on your own journey also with like love and relationships. Um and I know now that you talk about the fact that you're in like this really awesome loving relationship and we could have a whole other podcast about like food and love um, yes. and relationships. That's a whole other big thing. But what is the greatest lesson that you've learned when it comes to love and specifically romantic relationships? Yeah. So I think that something I, I spoke to just briefly earlier about, about self love and, and true love, not being conditional. Like that is something that, understanding that one concept it has been all the difference in the world and i'm not uh, i'm not a super religious person um of any kind i don't i don't necessarily subscribe to a specific ideology but i will say that the biblical description of love in i want to say it's first corinthians 12 or something but it, it speaks to it defines love and it's not if you're not a christian don't feel like you're going to be like I'm, I'm preaching at you if you look it up, but it, it talks about what love really looks like. And it says that love, it doesn't seek its own. It's, it's not, it's not puffed up. It's, it's kind and it's hopeful. And it's, it, this is what love should look like. Love should never restrict. It shouldn't, it shouldn't hate. It shouldn't hold grudges. And, and I, I say that and you're, it sounds like relationship advice, mm -hmm. but I'm really talking about the way that we treat ourselves because 95% of us in this world are in abusive relationships with ourselves. Yes. Like if, if you really listen to your self-talk, mm. if you listen to the way that you treat yourself in those quiet moments, you say things to yourself that if you heard someone saying them to your significant other, you would probably throw down and start boxing. You know, oh, like yeah. the things you say to yourself on a daily basis mm -hmm. are awful, a lot of us. And, and, and we're so unforgiving of our own mistakes and partly because we watch everything that we do. So we see, you know, we know all the good and bad parts of us. Right. And so it's hard to love, you know, it's kind of like newlywed versus, you know, 25 years of marriage, you know, after 25 years, you've seen them throw up, you've seen them drunk, you've seen them, you know, get sick and, you know, you've seen the better and the worse of them. And it's not just mysterious and new. So we never, we're not newlyweds with ourselves ever. And mm -hmm. so we need to get to that point where we have that unconditional love, where we really understand that to love someone means to love without restrictions and to love without boundaries and to, to truly, to truly love means to not seek our own and, and to just give. And, and I think that if we can learn to cultivate that within ourselves, 
we really can learn to cultivate it with others. Um, and that is, that is such an important thing to, to learn how to do. Uh, I, I used to, I used to tease out the phrase when I was younger that, you know, you have to love yourself in order to love someone else. But it, it really is true that there is no way around that statement and it's unequivocal. Yeah. I, and in order to have a healthy relationship, uh, you know, healthy and sustainable, loving relationship, it, re- it sounds so cliche, like you said, but it is the actual truth. And it's cliche yeah. for a reason. And thank you for putting that so beautifully and and eloquently and thank you again for taking the time to talk with me about all of this stuff. I've been wanting to have you on my podcast for a while and I just think that everything about your story and the messages that you give are so important for people to hear. So thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. So tell people where they can find you and I'm not sure if you are, do you still work with people? to yeah a little bit I, okay I, weight loss for me has always been a labor of love it's never been and i've never really aspired to make it my my full-time thing mm-hmm. i still write i still write regularly and honestly when i first started keeping a blog so you can find me at, at my blog is tinier tim you know um which stems from a joke that people used to call me tiny tim when i was 400 pounds because i'm mm-hmm. also I'm, I'm a tall guy you know i'm i'm six four Mm-hmm. And so like people would always laugh at me and call me tiny Tim when I was at my heaviest. And so when I first started losing weight, I said, I'm just going to go with it. Now I'm tinier Tim. So now I'm really tiny Tim. So, um, you can find me tinyertim.com or tinier Tim on Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere where people are being social. Um, and then, uh, so I, I still write a great deal at that, that okay. website, but I do it more for therapeutic purposes. Yes. And it's really, it, it's funny enough. It's helped me stay mindful. And I, that's a point of advice I've given to more than a few people. They say, you know, how do I, how do I keep the weight off? How do I make sure I, I lose all this weight? And I say, Hey, why don't you start a blog? You know, and yeah. not necessarily to gain readership, but more importantly, you know, it's the idea of keeping a journal and being mindful and intentional. It's, it's one of the best ways to do it. And so I love, I, I still write at least a post every Tuesday mm. um, that goes out on Instagram um, about mindset change and all that good stuff. Perfect. We'll be sure to find Tim at all of those places. And thank you again for talking with me today, Tim. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. To find the show notes for this episode, please visit ashleypardo.com. Follow Ashley on Instagram at Ashley K. Pardo. If you like the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us some love by subscribing and giving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes.